Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Go ahead and have a seat. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 4. Did you know that a baby's voice actually um, will match the voice of its mother? There was a study done in, uh, it was comparing German and French families, and they were trying to determine if, if when a baby cries out, if there is something distinctive about the way that child cries. Each baby had what was called a cry melody that was very specific to the patterns of sounds that were unique to that newborn baby's cry. And in the process they find that those cries of each of those newborns actually match the sounds and tones of the voice of their mother. Isn't that amazing? That the child's voice, baby, when it's crying, their tones match the voice and the tone of the mother. Now, I don't have to tell the mothers in this room that when a ba- when your baby cried, you, their baby could be in a room of 20 little babies, and you'd hear your baby cry. You knew that it was your baby that was crying. And as true believers in Christ, see, we, we, this is also true of us. We have our own distinctive cry. And the verses we're going to look at today say to us that that cry sounds like Abba, Father. A very unique cry for children of God. I'm going to ask that you stand as we read God's Word. Galatians 4, beginning with verse 1. Remember, Paul has been uh, chastising and trying to show the Galatians that they are going for a different gospel. And he's telling them that you're heirs, you are already, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are children of God. And he's going to kind of clarify that a little bit in our verses today. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, then an heir through God. Father, we praise you for your word and for the fact that we are adopted. We are sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray that the scriptures will open our hearts to this fact. 
Not so we can just sit back and say, oh, isn't that great? I'm an heir with, with Christ. So that we can look and say, what does that mean? How am I to live? What am I supposed to do now that I know that I am a child of God? We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. You know, Paul had, had ended his previous thought that we were heirs with Christ, and then he gives us this explanation of what it means, that you know, we, are, we are heirs with Christ, even though we are heirs, we are still children, so we are still under guardianship until the time our Father has set for us. You know, I, I, if Caleb came to me tomorrow and said, okay, Dad, I, I want half my inheritance, like the prodigal son said, I said, yeah, go back to sleep. That ain't going to happen. I set that. I set that. I decide because I am his father. God has set the time for us to be, for Christ to come, and for us to have redemption and become children, be adopted into his family. It's this unique privilege for us to cry, Abba, Father. Now, Abba, it's not a band. It is, but most of us would think it's back there smiling because he knows Abba. It's not a band. What Abba means is probably the closest thing we can come to it would be a very close, intimate relationship where we would call him Daddy. We call him Daddy. It's this closeness, this intimacy. <clears throat> and when we were adopted as sons and daughters, God sends the Holy Spirit into us into our hearts, and we cry, Abba, Father. We have this intimate relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit. And this cry, just like the cry of these newborn babies, identifies us to whom we belong. We are God's. We are His children. The Galatian believers have begun to doubt their status as children of God. Well, maybe, maybe, yeah, we believed in Jesus, and, and Paul says we're children, but, you know, maybe there's more we need to do. Maybe we need to do something different. We, we, we need to show this, that, you know, do something we got, we got to have a process that we go through, a special handshake or whatever. Well, Judaizers come along and say, yeah, you got to be circumcised. Paul's fighting that. He's trying to show, no, you, you've already, you're already children of God. In fact, you're such a you are you are so much children of God that you can cry out to Him, Abba, Father. You you have an intimate relationship with the Father. But the Galatians were questioning if they could even receive eternal life. Paul points this out that this cry is the way for us to confirm our status as sons and daughters of God. Now Paul goes into this, uh, this thought of enslavement, that b- before we knew Christ, we were slaves. We were slaves in this world. And he says, he uses this thing, if a son, in the beginning of this verse, he says, you know, uh, um, he says, if we are sons, then we're heirs. But that's telling us that not everybody is a son or daughter of God. Not everyone can cry out, Abba, Father. 
You know, normally a baby will cry when they're in distress or they want something. You know, you, you know, as a, as with a newborn, I remember with Caleb and Abigail, we knew that if they were crying, it wasn't just because they had an attitude and, you know, it was because they, they, they wanted something. They were either hungry, they were either lonely, or they were either dirty. I always hoped they were crying because they were hungry or lonely. Didn't particularly care for the dirty part, but do what we have to. But a baby cries when it's in distress, and in our distress, not everyone, as humans, not everyone can cry out, Abba, Father. But we get this special privilege of crying out to God in an intimate way. It would be kind of like, you know, if all of you came up to me and you needed something, and you start out, well, hey, Daddy, I'd be like, why are you calling me Daddy? Especially if Betty Sizemore did, because she's much more mature than I am. You know, I may call her mother because she's, you know, she's older. But you don't call me daddy. My two children are the only ones who normally would call me daddy, and that'd be normal. Because if you're not a child of God, you will not be able to cry, "Abba, Father," and have it be genuine. You may cry. I, I believe. People have been asking me this question. So do, you, do, do I think that God answers the prayers of the unbelievers? Now, obviously, if you're a non-repentant person, God is not going to answer your prayers normally. Now, I'm not saying he can't. He can't. He can, God can choose in his, in his grace to actually answer a non-believer's prayers. But even then, you don't have that intimacy of Abba Father if you don't know Christ, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and trust him for your salvation. It's his prerogative to do what he wishes. But since God is not your father, you're not his child, and your cry will be different. We know that what it's like not to be part of God's family. We're orphans enslaved to the sin of the world. And even though we are heirs, we're still slaves. No different than those in the world who do not or do not want to believe in Christ and trust him for their salvation. Now Paul uses some very interesting terms, a very interesting term in verse 3. He states that we are enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What is that? I mean, is, is that, you know, our first thought might go to, well, that means we're enslaved to the wind, to the rain. Those are elementary, but these are principles. So these are thoughts. These are, these are ideas. So as, as we look at it, we have to, we have to go back and we got to think about, um, I, I want to think about Israel. You know, the Old Testament gives us images and foreshadowings of the New Testament. So what is that? How does that relate to things in the Old Testament? If we go back to Israel. Think about Israel being enslaved in Egypt. But when they were when Moses came and he free and he he took them out of Egypt and they went into the desert, yes, they were free from their slavery to Egypt, but they were still enslaved to something far worse than all the years in Egypt. They were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, which was confirmed by their inability to faithfully follow God. 
So what Paul seems to be describing as these elementary principles would be kind of the basic elements of the created order, the primordial powers that work in the world, which we as fallen humans always seem to take and make idols out of. Throughout history, that's what we have done. So what are these basic elements? We can think of these as those things around us that tempt us to place them at a higher position than we place God. Higher than they should be. And believe me, there are many. But I want to focus on three. Probably, probably the three, I think sometimes the three most insidious, because they lie to us, and we fall for them, and we, get, we fall for them badly to the point where we are enslaved to them. And those are money, sex, and power. These three powers are so proliferant in the world today, we can't avoid them. And they are very, very powerful. You know, money in the form of greed and materialism is a driving force in our world today. Think about that. What drives us? Money. Well, I just want to take care of my family. But once we get a taste of that money and what it can do, You know, they say, that, they say that money can't buy happiness. Well, that's true. Long-lasting happiness. But it, what it does, it buys us the sense that we're happy when in reality we're not. It buys us a lie. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, this is what Paul tells Timothy, he says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, the love of money, not money, but the love of money, is so powerful that even believers can fall for it. Even believers can be trapped by the love of money. And I believe it's the love of money that has been one of the main impetuses for what we, the insanity that we have experienced in the last year and a half. Just to give you an example of why I think that. Um, anybody have any idea how much Pfizer made in the first quarter of this year just on their vaccine? $3.5 billion. Now you kind of wonder why they're telling everybody to get vaccinated and why they want boosters. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I'm not saying the vaccines are evil. You can, you can go either way on that. But I want to tell you, the drive behind it is. So the love of money. Money is an elemental principle that's easy for us to fall into. And we have to be ready for it. We have to be on guard against it. The second one was sexuality. I mean, you can't watch television. You can't pick up a magazine. You, you know, I, I, I have, <laughs> I get a gun magazine because I, I, I was a member of the NRA. And I look at it, I'm like, what does that have to do with guns? The woman, scantily clad. It has nothing to do with guns. You can't drive down the road without seeing a billboard that's using sex to sell. It's being proclaimed to us with a loud 
voice. And what happens is, I think, what, 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 I, and I don't know whether this is their goal, it's, it's Satan's goal if nothing else, but I don't know if it's the goal, of the, they just want to sell the product. Again, going back to the, the money being a problem, the love of money. But I think what happens is as we are exposed more and more to it, what it does is it weakens our resolve. It makes us want to accept it as okay. And not only accept that, but also to accept the debauchery of alternative lifestyles. And I'm not just talking about homosexuality. There's more, believe me, there's a lot more out there. There's stuff out there much worse than that. That's bad. Practicing it, not, not having those tendencies, but practicing that lifestyle. But this is what God says. Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, and, and, and I think this is extremely important for us as, as, as a church and as leaders. It says, he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. There should be none of it in the church. Nothing, none of it amongst its leaders. And believe me, leaders have fallen latest one was Ravi Zacharias from RZIM Ministries. After he died, it came out that he was sexually um, abusing women and having affairs. It cannot be in the church. It must not be in the church. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Which means don't have affairs. Don't bring anybody else into the marriage bed. Among other things. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. God's going to judge it. And in 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, Flee from sexual immorality Every other, person, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. When, when, when a person is falling into sin, sexual immorality, they're not sinning against... Now, and I disagree with this just a little bit. Let me give you this caveat. They're not sinning against you know, anybody else around them, except I think that when a husband or wife are, sexually, are, do, are something, doing something they're not supposed to sexually, they are sinning against their spouse. That's the problem. But we sin against our own body. And sexual debauchery is powerful, just like the love of money. And it has pulled many believers away from their faith. There's, there's a large number of, not a large number, let me just say this. There's, there's quite a few um, Christian celebrities that are you know, deconstructing their faith. Usually what they do, I'm deconstructing my faith, I'm leaving my family, I'm leaving my wife, and I have a new wife. That's usually what happens. When you deconstruct your faith, you tear it apart, and you, you question everything that you were taught. So, that's what happens. Sexuality becomes an issue. And it shouldn't. It needs to stay out of the church. It needs to stay out of our lives. It's definitely one of Satan's favorite tools for hurting the church and hurting our relationships. The third one was power. Power, or what I call the thirst for power, it's a powerful, powerful force. 
We've heard the phrase, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I believe we are experiencing our world today, and over the last year and a half especially, a hunger and pursuit for absolute power. I I did a podcast um, on Saturday. I, I released it on Saturday, premiered it on Saturday. Another deeper podcast. If you haven't watched them, uh, go to our YouTube page and you can subscribe and, and you'll get notices. But I, I was doing it and I'm, 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 it's, obvi- it's on the mark of the beast and I'm thinking about it. And um, I, heard, I heard this, uh, this Jewish doctor who advises Israel on their COVID policies and he said an amazing line. I used it in this, this podcast. Because I, sometimes people might look at me, hear some of the things I say, and think I'm a conspiracy theorist. And I, I'm, I'm at the point I'm saying people, I'm telling people now, I'm saying, listen, Noah was a conspiracy theorist until it started raining. There are things going on in this world, and power is behind it. But the thing about it is, is that worldly power is an illusion. Because true power comes from being humble. Jesus, in Matthew, he was, he was saying, he says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. You know, I don't, know, I don't like being humbled by other people. And in my life, I've been humbled a lot. I would much rather humble myself first. Because if I humble myself, then I will be exalted. But if I exalt myself, God's going to humble me. And usually he uses other people to do it. I think there are many people on the world stage, there are many people in churches today that think much higher than themselves than they actually should. Now Peter in his epistle, in his first epistle, he was, he was instructing the elders of the church, but I think the leaders in any circumstance would be wise to follow what he says. And this is 1 Peter 5. He says, So I exhort you, the elders among you, so I'm, 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 I'm trying to tell you elders, strongly tell you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock, of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. Don't do it, don't do it compulsively. Don't do it because you think you have to, and don't do it begrudgingly, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When Jesus comes back, you'll receive a crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, everyone, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. See, see the verdict that the Bible gives us is that we as humanity, fallen humanity, we are separated from the redeeming work of Christ. 
We are enslaved to the powers, the elemental powers of this world. They are are controlling us. They are tempting us. We are falling for it. Not just outside the church, but in the church. And the state of every person apart from being adopted by God, that we are we are sin, we are slaves to sin, and we are slaves to the world. We're without hope. As Paul said, Oh, what a wretched man I am. But we're only without hope if we don't know Christ. What's the answer to this slavery? And Paul tells us in verse 4 of our verses today, it's adoption. God's desire is not to let humanity wallow in its sin. God did not plan for us to spend our lives wallowing in our sin, falling for sexual depravity, falling for the love of money, falling for the pursuit of power. He never intended that to be what our lot was. That's our choice. We've made that choice to do that. It's God's desire that we would have a relationship with Him, that we would be adopted as His sons and daughters, not enslaved to the powers of, of this world. Instead, His heart was set on adoption. Because in verse 4 it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. God is eager to create a new family out of the families of the world and to bring them together as a single family by the act of adoption. You know, Beth and I, we've been through two adoptions. And I can tell you the process is a Herculean task. It's difficult the paperwork, the cost. And at times, all this seems overwhelming. And then what do you do? You get everything done, and you wait. And you wait. And you wait. We waited. We waited. It took us two years before we even got the first possible adoption, and that one failed. The mother kept the baby. We waited a whole other year until we were able to adopt Caleb, and two more years until we were able to adopt Abigail. It's physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausting to go through an adoption process. But we need to understand that the process that God went through to adopt you and I as sons and daughters was even more extensive and was even more intensive and expensive than anything we could ever experience by the crazy law, adoption laws of this world. God waited not just a few months, not just a few years, hundreds of years. So that at just the right time, he would initiate the adoption process. And how did he initiate it? By sending his son, Jesus. And here is why he did it this way. God the Father is holy. God is holy. He cannot be in the presence of sinners. But he wants us He wants to be in our presence. He began this world in our presence. He began in the cool of the morning walking with Adam and Eve. He searched them out when he couldn't find them. He knew where they were, but he wanted to be with them. He wants to be with us, but he can't because of our sin. 
He wants to call us sons and daughters. He must first deal with our sin. Because we can't. We are not good enough. We can't be good enough. This is why Jesus had to be born of a woman under the law. Jesus had to do that. He had to take on the human flesh. He needed to submit himself to the curse of the law in order for us to be adopted into God's family. He had to become not only incarnate, but he had to be crucified. He had to pay the price for sin. Our price, not his. He was perfect. He he never sinned. He was God. And God dying was the only way our sin could be taken care of. Because God wanted to be with us. When we got the phone call for Caleb and for Abigail both, the question was asked of us, okay, we have a child for you. Can you be here at this time? Well, yeah, not a problem. Right? Pretty easy. But God couldn't just say not a problem. He had to deal with the sin. If we are God's if we are God's sons and daughters, we enjoy certain privileges, this privilege because of the adoption. God spared absolutely no expense to adopt us. And it's expensive to adopt. I'm sure today it's even more. Our adoption processes were about $13,000 a piece. Okay? But that's nothing compared to what God did. He spared no expense to adopt us. He paid the highest price possible. He gave his son so that we may be made right with God and become children by faith. And I think that's one of the reasons in 1 John why he wrote, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. He loved us so much, he gave his son so that we could be children of God. Now, there are certain privileges with being children of God. When, when, uh, when our adoption was complete for Caleb and Abigail, they became part of our family. They became heirs to everything that we have. Their children, our children, no doubt, they are our son and daughter. They call us mom and dad or mommy and daddy. But see, they still, when they came into our family, there's certain things they still brought with them. They're African American. Their skin tone did not change just because they came into our family, right? But there are also other things that we don't see, we didn't see when they came in, because they are still have they have heredity. There are things in their family that they still brought with them. That someday some of the stuff we're going to have to deal with. Medical issues is just one of them. We don't even know all the medical issues that our children had, their families had. We have a little bit of history. So when they come into our family, they are, they bring with them issues. That's okay. We deal with them. But see, the difference, that's not what happens when God adopts us. Did you know that? When we're adopted by God, we become a new creation. We receive a new heart and a new spirit. 
2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, which means, means if anyone is a son and daughter of God, if you've been adopted into the family, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How does this happen? I know. You might be saying, yeah, but why do I still sin? That's because you're hanging on to your sin nature. You have to let it go. You have to kill it. It's not that God didn't provide a way for you to do that. He's made you a new creature. You just have to be sanctified and release that and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you to release that. We'll get to that. But how does it happen? God changes our spirit by giving us the Holy Spirit. Paul says in our verses, he, the Holy Spirit comes into us. He enters us. He tabernacles with us. He lives inside of us. At the very core of our being, the Holy Spirit remains. He resides there. He never leaves. And in the process, He changes us from the inside out. Over time, consuming everything that we are. And this leads to another privilege of adoption. That is this change in disposition. Our new spirit changes our, our position, our, how we relate, how we interact with God, how we interact with our, the world around us, the people around us. It changes who we are, not just in our relationship with God, but with our relationship with each other. We become a new person. When we are born again, when we, and, and, and that's a theological term, but when we believe in Christ, that moment that we trust Jesus for our salvation, we know it's true, and we surrender our lives to him, there is this cry in our hearts that flows from our new nature. It is the cry of intimacy and dependence. It is the cry, Abba, Father. Have you listened to your cry recently? You know, when, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he was going to be arrested, he, the first thing in his prayer, first thing he says is, Abba, Father. What is our cry like when we are in those moments of stress? What is our cry like? How do we sound when we're faced with the hardships of suffering and the setbacks that we have in life? Is the sound that you hear yourself say, is it Abba, Father? Or is it curse you, Father? Or something else entirely different? Maybe it's the sound of grumbling. Oh, why Why do I have to go through this? Ah, I don't want to do this. Or is it gnashing of teeth? Grinding your teeth because you're so mad that you have to deal with a bad situation in your life. Or is it, Abba, Father, I need you right now. If nothing else, Lord, change my attitude. Help me get through this. What is your cry like? You know, many times as children of God, we, we find our lives get difficult, and we cry out, and we should. We should cry out. But not always in the distinctive cry of an adopted child of God. Instead, we sound like the world and <laughs> that doesn't even know who Christ is. Instead of this cry of intimacy and dependence on God, it's a cry of indignation and desperation. But see, even as children of God, even when we receive this bad blow in our lives, we don't gnash our teeth at God, curse the day we were born, 
or worse, curse God himself. We don't cry as the world cries. We don't cry as they do, blaming others and blaming God, suffering under guilt and shame, doubling our efforts to get ourselves out of the mess that we're in. No, we cry, Abba, Father, help me. We do it in faith, fully depending on His provision and His strength. One of the, I think one of the greatest advantages I have as a pastor is to see people in the midst of their troubles. And I, I don't want to, sh- I can't really share a whole lot right now because I haven't, got, haven't asked the person if I can share it. And they're not here. But understand that there's a difference when we can cry, Abba, Father, and we're going through a bad time, than when we can't. I've seen it. I've seen both sides. We're no longer slaves. We're heirs. And we're assured of our sonship and daughtership, but, but we, we need to know that by how we respond in our suffering, We should not begrudge the suffering that God allows us to go into. I don't believe that God sits behind us with his finger ready to flick us, to inflict us with with suffering. I believe he allows us to walk into suffering because we're humans and we're stupid sometimes. And a lot of times the suffering we are in is our fault. Other times it's not our fault. It's part of being in this fallen world. That's why there's sickness and disease. I had COVID for a week. I was miserable. And there were times I prayed, okay, God, why am I going through this? I blame it on the fever. And then there were times I'm like, okay, God, you're getting me through this. Great. Thank you. Thank you for my wife who was able to take care of me. Thank you for that I have a bed that I could sleep in 20 hours a day. Thank you for the medicine that was bringing my temperature back down. Thank you for not giving me a hunger because I can't taste anything anyways. So I wasn't hungry. You know, you begin to think you've got we've got to be crying, Abba Father. That's how we know that we are heirs and children of God and how we are able to call out to our Father. By Caleb and Abigail know they can come to me and cry out to me in, in need. They can't always do that with everybody else. Now I know. If they were here and they cried out, you guys would, do, would be there in a minute, just as you would for any child in this church. We should not begrudge the suffering God allows, us in, allows into our lives because those are the time, those are God-ordained times that confirms our adoption as sons and daughters. In Hebrews, the writer says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. It's it's not saying, well, you screwed up, so I'm going to have to discipline you. That's not the discipline he's talking about. The discipline is God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And it doesn't mean that the father beats the child. No, what that means is, I'm going to allow my kids, I'm going to allow my son and daughter to go through some hard times. I'm going to show them some hard lessons. Usually I show them those hard lessons by me going through them and having to say, see, don't do what I did. But I'm going to allow them to suffer some things. Be there to pick them up, 
so they don't suffer too much, as God does with us. Verse 8 says, If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So we should not begrudge the suffering. God allows into our lives. Instead, we should rejoice that we are sons and daughters of God and see our hardships as an occasion that God can increase our confidence in Him and in our position as heirs in Christ. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. I asked Tim and Sherry to come back up as we get ready to close the couple songs in response to the message. You know, every newborn has a distinct cry. And so do we, as children of God. We know we're children, by the way. We cry during our times of trouble. When we respond to circumstances in our lives with cries of intimacy and dependence, when we rely on God, we know we are sons and daughters of Him. We can look to Him in our times of need, and and we can have confidence and trust. This is God. This is God who created everything. You think He can't deal with your issues? Carry you through it? He won't take them away, but he'll get you through them. And when we look to him in our times of need with confidence and trust, we show that we have a new spirit within us, a new creature we are, with a new heart. We know that we are his children when we cry, Abba, Father, with confidence. We don't do it on our own strength. No, it's something that God himself causes to well up with inside us by the Holy Spirit, who he sends into our hearts when we are adopted as his children. This is how we know we're adopted. How we know we are children of God. And if we're children of God, we are heirs with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We praise you that we can cry, Abba, Father. That we have this intimate relationship with you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who enters us and, and, and moves us and changes us from the inside out. Sometimes we wish it was quicker and we didn't have to go through these trials in order to get to that point. But we trust you. Help us in our time of need, Lord, to cry out to you first. To cry, Abba, Father, walk with me through this place. Give me your strength. Give me your wisdom. Give me your patience. And may you be glorified in everything that happens. We thank you for the privilege of being your children. And we praise you. Help us to walk in your spirit. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.